Going in. Whoa. Whoa. Wake up. There we go. <laughs> uh, good morning and welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm uh, excited to get to preach this morning. Uh, Chris, the other pastor here, he's on vacation and uh, enjoying the 80-degree weather of uh, Florida right now. So I get to preach this week. I preach about once a month. So uh, you've been around for just a little bit. Maybe you don't know me yet, but... Uh, like I said, my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad uh, that you chose to join us here this morning, especially if you're a visitor. Um, but even if not, thank you for giving up uh, one of your mornings on uh, your day off to, to gather with uh, God's people and get to hear his word to us uh, this morning. So in, in the New Testament, there's this uh, really uh, great story, story about Jesus. He has uh, three friends, uh, a brother and two sisters. The, the, the guy's name is Lazarus. And he has two sisters. And so Jesus loves them dearly. He's out uh, with his disciples. He's teaching. He's doing his ministry, casting out demons, healing people, things like that. And he gets this word that uh, his friend Lazarus is sick. And so uh, we fast forward a little bit more in this story. Lazarus ends up dying, and Jesus goes to be with uh, Lazarus's two sisters. He, he weeps with them. He, he cries. And... Uh, then after that, he wants to go to the tomb. So he goes to the tomb where Lazarus has been buried. It's a, it's a cave. There's a rock in front of it. And Jesus says uh, to the people, roll away that rock in front of the tomb. And the sisters object. They're like, but Lord, he, he's been dead for four days. His body's decaying. I'm sure it, it stinks by now. And Jesus still, still has them roll uh, the stone away. And then Jesus speaks into that lifeless tomb. He speaks to this decaying corpse, and he says to it, he says, Lazarus, come out. And when God speaks, creation obeys. Lazarus stumbles out of the tomb, risen from death, covered in burial clothing, probably looking like a mummy. And when God commands something, we see that it happens. Jesus tells the people watching that just saw this great miracle, the people that just saw Jesus speaking into lifelessness and creating life, he told them that through that, that God is now going to be glorified, that through seeing Jesus speaking and life being created, that God is now made famous and God will be worshipped through that. And that's what we're going to see again today in our passage. We're going to see God speak into a lifeless world and watch as creation obeys and life explodes across the face of the planet. So we're in a series in the book of Genesis. So Genesis is the very, very first book of the Bible. We've just started. This is our third week in it. So we're just seeing the beginning of the beginning uh, book of the Bible. And we've been looking at the story of creation. So for the past few weeks, we've uh, just unpacked the first uh, 10 or 15 so uh, verses in Genesis, this book, it begins with this famous line that you're probably familiar with. It starts off by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this first verse in the Bible, this first book, or this first verse in the book of Genesis is like a summary about what is about to happen. It's like a hyperlink. You like click on Genesis 1-1 and the rest of Genesis 1 and 2 uh, explain how and, and uh, in what order and uh, what's going on underneath the summary statement of in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth a, a phrase just meaning everything the entire universe and everything in it 
These past two weeks, we've seen God create. We've seen him separate light from darkness, the water from the sky, the land from the water. And today, we're going to see God now fill those things. We're going to see him fill sky, fill water, and fill land with light. So this morning, we're in chapter uh, 1, verses 11 through 13. They're going to skip ahead to verses 20 through uh, 25. We're going to see the creation of life today. Let there be life. All right, you can turn with me uh, in your Bibles. It's probably page 1, uh, or it's also up here on the screen. So starting in verse 11. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is the in, in which is their seeds, each according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Skip down to verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanses of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you how we see that through your word, you create life. That you're a God that doesn't just stop with a beautiful creation full of mountains and rivers and, and skies full of stars, but that you choose to create life. So God, we pray as we unpack this today, that we would see you as a great creator. We would see you as a loving God that chose to create life, to create us, and that you do so through your son. You bring us new creation and new life eternal life through the ultimate word of God, your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. So starting in verse 11, we see God is, is doing a new thing in this story. So verses 1 through 10, he's creating uh, the universe, yet with, without life so far. Starting in verse 11, God begins to create life. See, in verse 11, starts off by saying, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. Then again later in verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And in verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. So ones on the earth, like livestock and creeping things. So God fills the water, the sky, and the earth, things he's previously created now with, with life. So here's kind of a, a chart. Some people see uh, Genesis 1 the creation account is, is very poetic, that God, in days one, two, and three, he's forming or separating light and darkness, water and sky, sea and land in those first three days. And then uh, in, in a parallel way, verse, days four, five, and six, he's now filling 
light and darkness with the sun, moon, and stars, which we saw last week. And this week we see God filling the water with fish and the sky with birds. And then in day six, filling, filling land with animals. And we're going to see next week uh, God create mankind. We're not going to get to that yet today. So we're going to look at uh, God filling the sky, the water, and the land by creating vegetation, fish, birds, animals, and the like. So now what God has created so far, it's still incredible, right? Uh, the universe, stars and planets, galaxies and black holes, the vastness of great oceans, the majesty of towering mountains. Yet God, he doesn't just stop there. He continues to move from chaos to order, upping the brilliance and beauty of his creation by now adding to it, now by creating life. So practically, wh wh why is this important for us? Why does God choose in the very beginning of the very beginning of the Bible? Why does he choose to tell us that he intentionally created life? Why does God start off his story like this? If you're here two weeks ago when we uh, preached on Genesis 1-1, we were, we were reminded it starts off by saying, in the beginning, God. doesn't say humanity. doesn't say you. doesn't say me. And so we're reminded of our place. We're reminded that God is, is the eternal one, and we, we are just creation. Yet at the same time, very early on in the story, God wants the readers to know that he intentionally chose to create life. And we're going to see next week uh, humanity being the pinnacle of that. The reason that he does that, I think, is because he wants to show us his character, who he is. He wants to show us his power, his glory. He wants to show us his creativity. And he wants to remind us of our place. And, and not in, he doesn't want to remind us in our place, not in a I'm God and you're just a puny human type of way, but rather in love, he wants us to know that our lives have meaning. Again, I know I'm jumping ahead. Next week, we're going to be talking about the creation of mankind. But if we're talking about God creating life, we can't help but begin to reference God's ultimate creation of mankind. Next week, we're going to see that. God creates mankind, creates humanity in his image. Unlike the rest of creation, un unlike the rest of life, plants and animals, they do not reflect uh, God. They do not image God in the way that humans ultimately do. And because of that, because humans are made in the image of God, because we are different than the rest of creation, our life has meaning. Your life has meaning. Your life has, has worth, right? We all want to know that our life has meaning. We all want to know that there, there's something important about uh, what you're going to do here on earth or that it's actually quite depressing when we feel or believe or, or think about our lives just being the exact right ratio of protons, neutrons, and electrons. And that's the only reason that we exist is they just happen to mix together in, in, in the right formula. But God chose to create life. He chose to create humanity. He chose to create you. So whether he chose to use the Big Bang or evolution or whether he chose not to use that and, and did it just uh, through his creative power, that, that's not the point. The point he's trying to communicate here in Genesis 1 is that he wanted to create mankind. He chose to create life. You are wanted. You are desired. You are not an accident. You are chosen, and your life has meaning. So that's just a preface for, for next week. We're going to unpack that 
a lot more as we look at God creating mankind. But back to our passage. What, what else does God want us to know as we read this creation account, as we read this part of Genesis 1? Well, we see this phrase again and again and again throughout all of creation, throughout all of Genesis 1. We see, and God saw that it was good. So after creating vegetation, after creating animals, after creating fish and birds, we see God repeating again and again and again that it was good. So he's telling us something. He's telling us creation is good. He's telling us nature is good. All of creation is a gift from God, including all kinds of life, plants and animals, as well as uh, humans, obviously, as well. They are given to us for our enjoyment and for our pleasure. And they help us better understand him. Both of those things are important. Creation, life is given to us for both our enjoyment and our pleasure. We're supposed to have fun eating great food. We're supposed to marvel at, at great mountain ranges and, and the oceans and uh, the stars at night. But it's not just for those things. It's not just for our enjoyment or our pleasure. He gives those to us so that we can better understand him. And we'll unpack that a little bit later. First Timothy 4.4 4 writes, uh, For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So our response to creation, our response to all these gifts that he gives us, should be to receive it, to enjoy it, to give thanks because of it, and to see what it points to. To not just stop at the gift, but to, to let it describe and unpack and help us under, better understand the gift giver. So not only need we be thankful for the gift that God gives us, so creation, nature, plants, and animals like we're looking at today, but the Bible warns us again and again for moving from thankfulness to worship, moving from enjoying and being thankful for something, moving to uh, making it or putting it in the place of God, giving it ultimate worth, worshiping it in a sense. Or another way to say it, God reminds his people again and again and again to worship him, the gift giver, rather than the gifts. Worshiping amazing things, good things, things that he calls good, things that First Timothy 4 calls good, things like organic food, things like loyal and joy-giving pets, things like lush rainforests, but making sure we put them in the right place rather than making them our God, our ultimate thing. So Christians highly value nature. Christians should highly value creation. So similar to our city, we love uh, nature. We love all the green spaces. We love our animals. We love the waterfalls and the trees of our city. But unlike our city, we choose not to worship those things. So you might be thinking, well, yeah, people don't really worship those things. Well, practically, they, they, they do in their hearts. And, and physically, uh, there's actually lots and lots of people here in our city that literally worship creation. They literally worship the river. They literally worship Mother Nature here in our city. So unlike other religions that see nature and the earth as divine, Christians see them as divine gifts. Gifts given to us for our survival, our enjoyment, and our pleasure, and gifts given to us to point us back to the gift giver. In The Weight of Glory, uh, C.S. Lewis writes, Nature is only the first sketch Nature is only the image, the symbol. 
but it is the symbol scripture invites me to use. We are summoned to pass through nature, beyond her, into that splendor which she fitfully reflects. So creation should point us back to the creator. Just like a sketch should remind us of the subject that the artist is viewing as they draw. Or just like the, the reality that a symbol points to. Or just like the gift should ultimately remind us of the love of the gift giver. The book of Romans unpacks this propensity that humanity has to worship creation rather than creator. Romans 1, starting in uh, verse 22. So speaking of the unrighteous, speaking of us in our, in our sinful fallen state, claiming to be wise, they actually became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So Paul's looking at culture and saying, hey, this, this is what people are doing. They're actually saying that they're wise, but they're really just acting like fools. They're blinded. They're worshiping created things rather than creator gods. They're worshiping images, whether statues or, or whether the actual things, things that resemble mankind and birds and animals and creeping things, things that God created that we just saw in Genesis 1, instead of the immortal God. He continues, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So that was true that in that day. That's true in our day today. That's true in, in our uh, sinful hearts is we have this propensity to lift up the created thing and to begin to worship it rather than the creator God. We exchange the truth that will be most satisfied, receive the most amount of pleasure in worshiping and, and valuing uh, God exchange that truth for a lie, that no pleasure through, through nature, through activities, through recreation, sports, through travel, through great food, that's what will bring us great pleasure. So today as we marvel in the magnificence of creation, and we should do that, as we marvel in the magnificence of creation, let us keep things in the correct order. Creation is great, yes, yet there's something even greater that creation should be constantly reminding us of again and again, namely the creator himself. Now on to the how question. So how did God create the heavens and the earth? How did he choose to bring about life? Again, lots of ways that you can debate exactly how God created things, but what, what does Genesis 1 say? What does God want us to know about how he creates life? He doesn't talk about evolution or a big bang which maybe he did use, but what he, does want to, what he does want us to know is that God chooses to create life, and he does so through his word. He creates by speaking. Again, verse 11, and God said, that's how it starts, and then vegetation and plants were created. That verse ends with, and it was so. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with the stream, with, with let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And again in verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God speaks and it happens. 
kind of like maybe some of you here today are bosses. Maybe you're a boss in your company, you have authority over someone in your company or a group of people, and, and when you say something, it actually happens. You, you tell someone to write this report, to show up at this meeting, to, to do this job, to, to go to this place, and it happens. Kind of like that, or, or maybe you're not a boss, maybe you just have an iPhone, and you tell Siri what to do, and she just does it. Most of the time. Bad example. Most of the time she does it. But the, the best example of this is of a king. So God, just like a king, speaks and it happens. He speaks and it becomes law. So just like a king, when God speaks and creation is created, it shows God's rule, his power, his sovereignty, his authority, all as the king of the universe, all as the king of all of creation. Sidney Gradenus, a commentator, writes about this. So Genesis originally was given to the, the people of God, the, the tribe of Israel. So how would they have read what we just read this morning? How would the Israelites have heard the message that God had created all things with his powerful word? In ancient times, kings were the law of the land. The king spoke, and it was done. Genesis 1 portrays God as the king of the universe. This means, first, that God is the owner of the universe. Second, that God is the law of the universe. His word is powerful. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it happens. He wills it, and it comes to pass. Our God is the sovereign king of the universe. Nothing on earth happens without his will. There's no such thing as chance. Our king is sovereign and in control of the universe. With his powerful word, he brought order out of chaos. With his powerful word, he controls the universe. Notice, too, how, how God chooses to create. He chooses to create by speaking. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have pointed. He could have done something like uh, maybe the genie on Aladdin, kind of just points and say, vegetation, palm trees, giraffes, things like that. But he chose to create through his word. And that tells us something about his character. It tells us something about what he's doing. It tells something about what's going on in this whole story. And unlike all the other gods of the day that were surrounding the, the, people of, the people of Israel, unlike all the other gods of that day who in their, myth, in their myths had to use pre-existing matter to create, God uses nothing. All he does is he speaks, and out of nothing, all of creation comes into existence. He speaks, and out of nothing, it is created, demonstrating his ultimate power. Unlike all these other puny gods, lowercase g, that other nations are worshiping around, around Israel. Hebrews 11.3 speaks of this. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That are visible. So when God created, he created out of nothing. He spoke and out of nothing everything was created. And not only that, but the entire creation account in Genesis is a continual emasculation and destruction of all these so-called gods surrounding Israel. Nations like the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Canaanites, and other, other people groups of uh, ancient Mesopotamia. So essentially, Genesis 1 is, is saying to them, or is encouraging God's people to say to them, you worship the sun? Egyptians, you worship the sun god Ra? Our God created the sun. You worship the ocean as a god? 
our God created the ocean. Again, these are lowercase, lowercase g gods, not, not real gods, myths or just demons that, that cultures are worshiping. They would say, you worship a God who needs food brought to him? You need to bring all this food to your God? He's so weak. Our God is the creator of all the food on the planet. You worship the God of fer- fertility? Our God's not bow- bound by that. Our God created plants and animals in their own kind with seeds and the ability to reproduce. We don't have to go to, to your God and beg again and again and again, please, please let our crops rise, let our, let our cattle uh, conceive and reproduce, let us have offspring. Genesis 1, again and again, sets the God Almighty towering over all the other ancient gods. But we don't stop there, okay? We're not just Jews reading this thousands of years ago. We're Christians, and as Christians, we know that we, we have an entire Bible. We, we read the Bible as one story, and so we read the very beginning, and then we look at the rest of the Bible. How does it interpret and, and, and look at what's going on in Genesis 1? And as Christians, we know that the, the cross is the climax and the most important part of the Bible, or what it's all pointing to. So we look at how, how does the New Testament, after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, how does the New Testament uh, quote Genesis 1? How does the New Testament look back at creation? What do they say? How does the New Testament interpret Genesis? So we ask, and we should always ask, how does the New Testament, or what does the New Testament say about God creating through his word? How do they expand our understanding of Genesis 1. And again and again and again, as we read the New Testament, as we read the Bible after, after the cross, we see that Jesus is called the Word of God. And that it is through him and by him that all creation was created. Again and again, we see that Jesus is called the Word of God. And that through him and by him, the entire universe was Created. That might be brand new to you. That might kind of be really confusing, and it kind of is. But let's look at some of those passages where we see that. So John 1, so John is one of Jesus' disciples, and when he starts his gospel, when he starts his story, writing all about Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, he starts it off with, with these words, in the beginning. He wants his readers to say, hey, I've, I've seen these words before. In the beginning, the exact same phrase that we see way back at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis, so he wants his reader to be thinking creation. In the beginning was the Word. So remember the Word being a name for God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, through Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1.16 talks about this too. Speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. It might be the first time you've ever read this verse or these verses the first time, first time you've thought about, wow, the Bible actually says that the universe was created through Jesus, was created through the Word of God. 
It's created through him and by him. Again, Hebrews 1, 2 speaks of this as well. But in these last days, God the Father, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So now as Christians, we can read Genesis 1 and see that our God creates life, and he does so through his word, which is his Son, Jesus Christ. So if our God is a God who creates life, and he does so by speaking, he creates life through his word, then we can expect him to continue to do so, right? So now God, in the New Testament, now after the, after the cross, God is recreating. God is giving new life. God is giving spiritual and eternal life, and he's doing so through his word. Conversion in the New Testament is talked about as receiving new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 speaks of this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is a Christian, if anyone trusts in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, what does it say? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We see creation language used here. We see new life. And this new life comes from being in Christ. We see God speak to the spiritually dead and bring spiritual life. An even better life. An eternal life. A perfected life. Jesus, again, in the book of John, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And later on in John, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So this new life, this, this conversion, this passing from spiritual death to spiritual life, it comes through the word of God. It comes through Jesus Christ and his gospel. And it comes through hearing his word. God's ultimate word to us, which is the gospel. Um, I don't have my reference in my notes here. You can go to the next slide. There we go. Romans 10, 13 through 15 writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have, have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Paul's arguing here, the author here, is arguing in great depth that people only receive this spiritual life through hearing the gospel. They only receive this eternal life by hearing the gospel taught or, or, or preached to them. And the only way that they can hear it is if someone tells them. And just in case we don't get it, Paul summarizes with the very next verse. He makes it very clear. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So if God creates life by speaking into the barren lifelessness of the universe, and if now he creates spiritual life by speaking to us through his son, then Christians should always be people of the word. We should always be people who value teaching and preaching and speaking and singing and memorizing and meditating on God's word. People who love God's word to us, the gospel, which is God's ultimate word 
to us. So practically, this means here at Hiawatha Church, we, we are people of the word. Or Christians should be people who, who value the word of God. Because that's the way that God creates new life. That's the way he, he gives ultimate, eternal life. So un, unlike this quote that is often attributed to, to St. Francis of Assisi, which is, uh, preach the gospel always, use words if necessary. So unlike this quote, we believe with every fiber of our being here at Hiawatha that all Christians are called to teach and preach and share the gospel. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, you've been entrusted with God's greatest word, God's life-giving word, the greatest news that this world has ever heard. And actually, these words that are attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, uh, most people don't think that he actually ever said those words. There's no record in any, any of his, uh, his works or any of the most early biographies about him saying that he said this. And in fact, he, Francis was a, a, f- a phenomenal preacher. He would preach uh, four or five times, up to four or five times a day. He would stand on a cart or on a bale of hay and preach to whoever would listen to him. So we echo St. Francis's real value, his pr- practically what he showed, uh, his value of preaching and his example on the necessity of teaching and speaking and preaching the gospel. And especially the needs for us to use words in order to do so. Deeds are very important, for sure. We, we talk about this a lot here at Hiawatha. Deeds are very important. They reflect, they embody, they show off this gospel that we're explicitly saying. They, they give credibility to this gospel that we're preaching. Yet at the same time, deeds are secondary. No one has ever entered into the kingdom of God because someone shoveled their sidewalk. No one has trusted Christ as their savior just because someone was kind or generous to them. Yet millions and millions and millions of people have received eternal life through hearing the good news of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So we resonate with St. Francis's life and say with him, preach the gospel always and use words. Theologian Michael Lawrence, he writes about this. He says, if God's word effectually creates every time, we saw so in Genesis 1, we saw so with Jesus speaking into this tomb, raising the dead, and he quotes Isaiah 55 here too, uh, 55, 11, my word will not return back to me void. If that's true, what do you think churches should do when they gather? Should they concentrate on entertainment or on preaching the word? Well, I suppose that depends on whether they want a ministry designed to amuse the dying or a ministry aimed at raising the dead. And that's the ministry we we want here at Hiawatha Church. When we gather on a Sunday morning, we strive for a ministry where the word of God is central. And it's a part of everything we do. The songs we sing, the verses we read, the conversations we have, the prayers we pray over each other, and the words that we preach and teach and speak. And then as we scatter throughout the week, we desire that all of our people are doing that. We desire that our people preach the gospel always through words and through their deeds as well. That they passionately believe deeply that everyone's greatest need is Jesus. And we pray that we go through awkward conversations, social stigma, and even get over our own pride in order to to share this great, great news. 
that everyone's been entrusted with. That just like Lazarus, we can walk out of this, this lifeless tomb and receive eternal life. So as we, re- as, as we leave today, two things for us in light of uh, our passage today. First thing, let your love for creation or nature or any part of creation that you especially love and appreciate, let that point you to the creator and life giver. Good question to ask yourself. How are you worshiping creation over creator? Many of you, probably most of you, are not literally going down to the Mississippi River or Minnehaha Falls and lighting a candle or saying a chant or, or something to the actual river, which many people actually do here in our city. But how are you worshiping creation over creator God? How are you putting a, a good thing, how are you making that into a God thing? Whether it's your pets, maybe it's your yard or your garden, maybe it's things like vacations to lakes and rivers and mountains, saying things, whether verbally or in your heart, well, this is where I experience God. I experience God before a mighty mountain or, or before the, the vast ocean or in a rainforest or maybe in, in, my, in my flower garden or my vegetable garden or, or with my pets or maybe even with people as well, making them, putting them in the place of God. But rather, we should see all of those things as gifts that, that point to the creator, that help us better understand our God. So just like with a, a loyal pet that you might have that greets you every single day when you come home, you can be happy for that. You can receive pleasure from that. You can enjoy that. But don't just stop there. Think, God is kind of like that. Just like my dog wants to see me every single day when I come home from work, God is also loyal like that. God will never leave me. God is always happy to have me around him. He always wants me to come near him. Or maybe when you see the power, the majesty, or the beauty of, of the falls here, just a few blocks away, you can think about, wow, my God created these things. Think about the beauty and the power that is reflected in those waterfalls, or in that waterfall, is a, just a reflection of our God. Or the pleasure and the enjoyment that you receive from eating great organic vegetables and fruit. You can think about your God, who, is, who brings the ultimate pleasure, who brings the greatest form of satisfaction, even more so than something you can get at your co-op. Another good question for us to ask how are, how, are we, how are we blinded to the gift giver behind the gift? So let the desire, fulfillment, and satisfaction you see in creation, in nature, in all forms of life, intentionally look beyond that. Look to see what that is pointing you to. So let your love for creation and nature and life point you back to the creator and the life giver. And secondly, as as people of the word, capital W word, as people of the word, people of Jesus, Christians, let us also be people of the lowercase w word, people of the gospel, people of the Bible. Just like God spoke into this lifeless world and created life, he does so now through his son, the ultimate word. We saw Jesus do this with, with Lazarus, where he literally spoke into a grave, into a cave, to a corpse, 
and brought him back to life. He called out to a rotting body in a tomb and brought new life. And he does so now through his spirit, giving us new spiritual and eternal life to those who trust him. And he offers that to you today. We are Lazarus in that story. We are not just indifferent to God, but we're actually spiritually dead. Just like Emily read this morning, Ephesians 2 speaks about, in our sin, we're actually spiritually dead. So we are Lazarus. We're lying in a tomb. We're rotting. We're stinky. We're wrapped up in burial cloths. Or we're sealed in a tomb with no hope of ever getting out. And then Jesus shows up and he speaks to us. He speaks to you and he says, come out. He speaks life or he speaks into death and brings life. So because that is our story, because we are people of Jesus, because we are Christians, let us then herald that message. Let us be a church that is known as a church that really believes that they have the best news that this world has to offer. The news that eternal life is now offered through our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. God, help us never, never to tire of sharing that message, even to ourselves, again and again and again. Jesus says to us today, just like he said in John 11 to Lazarus' sisters, he's saying to this, he's saying this to us here at Hiawatha today. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you give us an invitation. You offer us spiritual life. You call to us in that tomb, come out. God, help us to believe that, whether for the first time or the, the millionth time today. Help us to be people who, who love you more than creation itself, who enjoy creation, but who don't make it into a God, a God that never can live up to the, the fulfillment and the desire and the need that we have, that we're supposed to be getting from you. God, we pray that we'd also be people of the word, that we'd be a people defined by others as people who just love this message, this gospel message that, that is about uh, Jesus Christ bringing new and full and eternal life to those who repent and believe in him. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to move into a, a time of communion now uh, where we take uh, the Lord's Supper. So Jesus, on the, the night that he was betrayed, he had a meal with his uh, 12 disciples. And in this meal, there was, there was bread and wine, and he took uh, the bread, and in front of them, he broke it, and he said, this, this represents my body. My body is about to be broken, and the reason it's going to be broken is because uh, it's for you. I'm going to die on the cross on your behalf, in your place, for your sins. And then he also poured a cup of wine, and he said, this is going to be my blood. And this, this is symbolic of my blood that in just a few hours is, is going to be pouring out of my body so that people can receive that eternal life, so that people can be recreated. So Christians throughout the past 2,000 years have celebrated this regularly. They, they eat the bread, they drink the cup, and they remember Jesus' broken body and he spilled blood so that we can have new life, so that we can have 
eternal life. So that that curse of, of, of sin and death can be reversed. So practically how that looks here at Hiawatha is uh, in just a minute the band will come up and play uh, about four songs. Anytime during that, that set, uh, we want to invite you to come up here and uh, take communion. So you can come down the center aisle, break off a piece of bread, or there's gluten-free crackers if you need, um, pour a glass of wine or grape juice. They're, both pitchers are labeled. And then uh, feel free to take it in the front row, bring it back to your seat, take it there. There'll also be people up front who would love to pray with you. So whether uh, you just um, want a general prayer or if you have anything specific, there'll be people up front who would like to pray with, with you as well. And so I want to invite you to participate in this. All we ask, just like the Bible asks, is, is that you're a Christian, is that you put your trust in, in Jesus Christ, that you've moved from spiritual death into spiritual life. And if you haven't yet, we ask you not to take communion because Jesus asks you not to. But that doesn't mean that you can't trust in him today. It doesn't mean that you can't answer that call to come out of the tomb, the tomb of, of spiritual death, and, and receive new life. So come talk to myself or another one of the people up front, and we'd love to pray with you and uh, just talk with you about what that means to trust in Christ, to, to receive uh, new and eternal life in Jesus, and, and then take communion for the, for the very first time. So I'm going to pray, and uh, as soon as the band starts to play, anytime during that uh, worship set, feel free to come down the aisle and, and uh, take the Lord's Supper. Let me pray again. Father God, we thank you for the Lord's Supper. We thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. We are such, such forgetful people. We get really bored hearing the same thing over and over again, but you know that we are such forgetful people, just like the Israelites who literally saw you rescue them out of Egypt, part the waters, bring down clouds of, of uh, flame and all these miraculous things. Just, just moments after that, they start worshiping a golden calf. God, we know that our hearts are just like that. We are such forgetful people. And you're so gracious. You know that and you say, here, I'm, I'm going to institute the Lord's Supper. I want my people to take this regularly, again and again and again, to remember what I did on the cross, to remember that new life comes through uh, putting our faith in what you did on the cross. So God, we thank you for the Lord's Supper. We pray that it would be real and important to us this morning. We pray against apathy, against repetition without any heart and meaning behind it. God, we pray as we worship you, your song, and as we uh, remember the cross, God, that you would be in that and that would uh, move in our hearts, change our lives, make us uh, more like your son. We pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs>